You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at harvestniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. Amen. Good morning. Good morning. Merry Christmas. Realize it's December 15th, hadn't said that yet with all the canceling of church and all the hustle bustle. Merry Christmas. It's a joy to be here with you uh, celebrating Christ's birth. Uh, this morning we'll be looking at uh, Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 to 7. So you can turn it there in your Bibles. And if you don't have a Bible, please put your hand up. Our ushers would love to give you a copy of God's Word. And this is yours to keep if you don't have one at home. Uh, but Galatians 4, 4 to 7 is where we're at. Getting already only a week and a half away from Christmas. Can you believe it? A week and a half away from Christmas. Where did December go? So much going on, so much to be excited about. How many of you guys love the Christmas season? Yes, me too, one of my favorites. So much to look forward to, so much to be a part of. There's, there's gatherings and food and festivities, there's church services, there's prayer gatherings, all kinds of things, and uh, so much uh, to be excited about this Christmas season. One of the things I really get excited about at Christmas is Christmas cards. Any of you guys with me, Christmas card people here? Not necessarily to send them, but to get them. Sending them is a lot of work, Right? Receiving them is fun, though. Mostly, you know, friends that you never talk with all year, and somehow this is your connection point. It's a Merry Christmas, love you. Who are you again? Where'd you come from? But you get the card. The ones I love the most are the ones with the pictures on them, because, you know, see your kid, friend's kids growing up, and it's kind of like, well, I haven't talked to them in a year, but oh, how nice they look, right? And here's the first Christmas card I got this year. Actually, Ryan and his wife, Ryan Robertson, they're um, good friends of mine, and uh, we support them as a church, missionaries, and good to see them through, through the Christmas card. Here's one that I got a couple years ago that left an impact. <laughs> Don't leave it up too long. It'll take away the meaning of Christmas, leave an impact on you in the wrong way. Shane and his wife, um, they're fun, though. Aren't they getting Christmas cards? They're fun. And always in the Christmas cards is a little verse attached. They're part of a verse, mainly part of a verse, that kind of points us to Jesus Christ at Christmas. And uh, this Christmas season, um, we're going to look at some of the verses that are on Christmas cards and, uh, and study what they really mean, because so often in those Christmas cards, you only get like a little snippet of the verse, and yet we don't understand the full context of what the verse really stands for. And, and so we're going to look at some texts that are not the typical Christmas texts from Matthew 1 and Luke 1 of the Christmas story is found, but New Testament verses that highlight the reality of Christmas, and we're going to unpack the verses uh, in a way that I pray we'll understand more deeply the meaning of Christmas. And so titled this series, A Christmas Cards from God. Just like every Christmas card, it says, to whoever, from whoever, to you, from God. That's the New Testament, to you, from God. Here's some Christmas card verses. Here's the first one we want to start with. Uh, again, asking that God would stir our hearts afresh. It's Galatians 4, 4 to 7. Let me read this uh, with you uh, this morning as we seek to understand the full reality of what God intended at that first Christmas morning. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 to 7. But when the fullness of time had come... God sent forth his son. Generally, that's the Christmas card. It stops there. You got a Christmas card with that on it? When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, dot, dot, dot. There's so much more to this passage. Listen to what it says. Born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons, and let me add, and daughters. And because you are sons and daughters, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So now you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. 
so much more than so God sent a son. He's a little cute little baby in a manger and he's gonna one day save the world. And yet there's so much more meaning and implication behind even the fact that God sent his son as evidence here in this passage. Really three implications we're gonna get to. I'm gonna tell you right off the bat so you can like kind of hold on to those and be thinking about those as we go through the first part of this. It's, it's this, God sent Jesus, the greatest gift of all time, to ultimately be our redemption, to redeem us, to get this, make us his children and to allow us to become heirs of an eternal kingdom. Powerful. Let's understand the full reality of what this means in Galatians 4, 4 to 7. So as I tell you always, context matters, right? It matters. You can't just pluck a verse out of nowhere and say this is what it means. You have to understand the context. So here's what Galatians is about, quickly. Galatians is the bird's eye view of Galatians. It's a notable book that invites us into a relationship with God through faith. Plain and simple, Galatians is a salvation text, emphasizing the reality that salvation is an act of God through, through his son Jesus and not a result of any merit of our own. In other words, we can't earn this, and we can't strive for this in a way that, that apart from God that we're going to attain this. And salvation is only through the through faith in the justifying work of Jesus Christ on the cross. That's Galatians in a nutshell. And it's not throwing away all the religious traditions of striving, religious traditions and striving for obedience and some of those things that, that we think of, well, it's just grace. We throw those things away. We don't throw those things away, but it's more an exhortation to put, not put our hope in anything or a stock in anything other than Christ, not our outward endeavors, not our ceremonies, not even in our church or ourselves. It's all in Jesus Christ. And so through Galatians, we see themes such as the true gospel versus a false gospel. We see faith versus works, and law versus grace, and liberty versus legalism, and sonship versus slavery, and fruit of the spirit versus the flesh. And so chapters one to three, really, this whole idea of the law, get us to this point where we realize that the law, adhering to God's, trying starting to adhere to God's standards, can never possibly save us because we're too sinful. In fact, what the law does is it condemns us and points out how desperately every one of us need Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen to that? That's Galatians, the law, to this point. The law was simply to guard us and guard our lives until Christ came to completely free us to be God's children through faith and live for him now, not through our strength, but through his power. And so now we get to this text on the glories of Jesus Christ and, and the full reality of what the birth of Christ means. And so that's the context. Can you imagine if you're living in Jesus' day and it's all law, 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 law. How much, you, how, how desperate you'd be longing for the Messiah to come. How, how like, I can't do this, God. I need something greater. This is the greater. Jesus is the greater. And the greatest gift you and I could ever receive. This little section is actually... Uh, part of an early confession of faith drawn from the worship and proclamation of first Christian churches. There's a few verses we're going to study here. And so let's get right after it. Point number one, uh, you can write in your notes, is this. God sent Jesus to bring us close. How many people go throughout Christmas not even understanding the full reality of why God sent Jesus Christ. We celebrate the manger, we celebrate the birth, and the question lingers is like, well, why did he really send Jesus? Here it is, God sent Jesus to bring us close. That's why we celebrate so much at Christmas. That's why we worship, and that's why we love to get to church and gather with people and have prayer times, because really Christmas is about the reality that God sent his son to bring us near him. 
What a travesty it would be for us to walk through Christmas and be having this great big birthday party and forget about the one whom the party is for. How ridiculous it would be for people to come to our birthday party and not even acknowledge our presence but be more excited about the cake. Wouldn't that offend you a little bit? But it's my birthday. I'm the one. Well, let's get our hearts on Jesus Christ again and remember why we celebrate the reality of Christmas. I'm just going to break this down for you, phrase at a time, as we see the amazing truth of a supernatural birth. I want to say right off the, the top, this is nothing new. If you've been in church longer than five years, you'll know that this is nothing new. That's the plight of a pastor. The Christmas story is still the same. And yet, I'm praying it's renewed in your heart today. Here's what it says. But when the fullness of time had come, think of this, when the fullness of time had come, what's this referring to? It's referring to at just the right moment. Christmas was not an accident. It was planned. It was preordained. It was destined. When the fullness of time had come, when all of God's preparations for the whole universe had come, he at the exact time, not a second early, not a second too late, gave us his son. Think of this term, the fullness of time anticipating something or someone coming. It's a sense of, I can't wait for it. Think, think of the, a woman full of child, the fullness of time. From seven months on, you talk to any pregnant woman, and it's the fullness of time. How are you doing? Well, we got the name picked. The baby's room's ready. We got everything prepared. All we need is this baby do Come. Right, The fullness of time, like any time now, we've been waiting, we can't wait any longer. This is the reality, the fullness of time. In fact, all of creation was pregnant with the, the urgency for Jesus Christ to come back, or to come for the first time, sorry. The prophets have been pointing the Messiah's coming and proclaiming and the promises, the Messiah's coming. Everyone's like, when's he coming? When's he coming? People of God were like, politically and socially and, and, and economically and everything. It was the right time. They're like, when is the Messiah going to arrive? They're thinking for a physical kingdom, God has something much better in mind. It was an eternal kingdom. That'll be much, for much more than just the Jewish people. It'll be for all people. But they were ready. The angels were dancing with anticipation of the reality. When is Jesus going to make his final, his beginning entrance? The world was set up for this. In fact, creation was even groaning. Creation was groaning. Give us Jesus. Give us Jesus. All of human history was really pointing to this one true reality right here when Jesus came to earth. According to Galatians, according to Galatians, the urgency of this is the reality that the law had fully accomplished its purpose. The law that God gave us fully accomplishes purpose in showing man that our utter sinfulness and inability to live up to the perfect standard of God's righteousness. The law had done its work. The earth was right. The law had done its work. And now God, through Jesus, ushered in a new era of redemption for every man, woman, and child who would turn to him by faith. We get it, right? We can't live up to the law. The Ten Commandments. Who can live up to those? Not me. Exhausting. Impossible. We were longing for this. Maybe without even realizing it, we were longing for Jesus Christ. And so at just the right moment, God did what? He sent forth his son. Get this, God gave to us his son. Nothing earth-shattering in that statement. Again, been around church for a while, but, but let's stop and consider the reality of the earth-shattering nature of this God. It's not all 
God. It's, it's God. It's Elohim, the proper name of God. El Shaddai, God Almighty, El Olam, everlasting God, creator, mighty and strong, El Elyon, the most high God, the one true God. Get this, he sent his son. In fact, 900 years before Jesus was born, God prophesied when the Messiah comes, I will be a father to him. And he will be a son to me. It says that in Hebrews 1, 5, quoting from 2 Samuel 7, 14. God initiated the first Christmas. God sent. God's idea, God's plans. He sent us his son. Every other God in the universe, little g God, taker gods. Give me more. I demand, I deserve. Our God is a giving God. It sets our God apart from all the other gods. God is a giving God. It says in James that every good and perfect gift comes from God. What's his ultimate gift? What is the perfect gift? Jesus Christ. Why do I get so excited about that? Why would I say that with such exuberation? Let's be honest. He's the gift that we all long for deep in our souls, but that we all desperately need. Think about it. You've already come up with your list probably for Christmas of what you think you so desperately need, right? You've given it to your parents. Your parents have looked over it twice. It's not Santa who looks over your gifts list, by the way, kids. It's your parents. They looked over it twice. They've determined what they can and can't afford. And you think, even, our, even as parents, we have the, maybe our Christmas wish list before God. God, if you could just do this this Christmas, it'll make my Christmas complete. Or, or God, I've been asking for this. I've been asking for this. I've been asking for this. And, and yet, what's the one gift that makes everything complete that finishes off our lives, that gives us all that we hope for. It's Jesus Christ. And God in his wisdom and his grace and his ordinance planned beforehand to give us his son. It wasn't like a plan B. Like created the world, now it's really messed up. Now what am I going to do? Better tap Jesus on the shoulder again. I'm going, God planned beforehand to give us his best, to give us his son. It's like when you pick gifts, for those that you love in your life, how many of you randomly just pick a gift out of the, off the shelf and think, hope it works? No, you, you think about it. You purpose it. If you're anything like my wife, like it is detailed to the detail. We've gone over our gift list how many times, making sure we have the what? Perfect gift. By round two, I'm like, just get them whatever. <laughs> they don't remember in a year. No, it's got to be the perfect gift. Our Christmas is planned to perfection. That was God in sending his son. Perfect gift, meticulously picked with love for us. And a true gift costs something. You don't go to the bubblegum machine and put a quarter in, whoosh, here's your Christmas present. What's this? A true gift is thought through and it's planned and it costs something. You know, the biggest gifts you get, you're like, oh my goodness, look, I got a TV for my parents. I've never had that by chance, just saying. Got a TV, like what did this cost? It seems to mean so much more to cost something. Get this, our Christmas gift, the ultimate one, cost God his son. Think about that for a minute. It wasn't a little leftover change. It was, it was his everything. In fact, if you look at the, the scriptures, the it says clearly that the son and the father are one. And so God doesn't give us his son like, oh, well, you know, I'm going to give you my son and I know it's not going to turn out well for him, but it's my gift anyways. He gave us of himself. He fully gave himself to us. That baby manger is God himself fully in, fully sacrificially giving you the 
ultimate gift you could ever desire. True gift cost something. God paid it all. Look what's next. The fullness of time had come. God sent forth his son. Don't miss those words. God sent forth his son. Born of a woman. Easy to skip over those words, but it has some theological significance and, and meaning in our lives. Born of a woman. What's this mean? It means he was born of a woman. Anyone here born of a woman? Some of you guys aren't. <laughs> That's concerning. <laughs> We're all born of a woman, right? And so born of a woman, you're like, that's a no-brainer, but yet, but yet theologically deep implications, right? The, the son of God, you know, instead of, instead of sending him on some magic carpet or some beautiful cloud or some Shekinah glory, he actually entered into the world just like you and I did, like through a woman, you ever been a part of childbirth? It's beautiful, it's a miracle, but it's messy, and it's sort of a, ugh. You think about that. Why would God allow his son to be born like that? And all of his radiance and all of his wonder, it's ultimately because God's showing us that he's giving us a gift that's not just a gift that you set on your shelf. It's a, it's a relatable gift. It's a gift that understands it's a gift that identifies with you in every single way. Jesus came the same way you and I did to share in our humanity. In other words, what we walk through in life, he's walked through in life. What we struggle with, he struggled with. What makes us joyful gives him exuberance. God understands us. Jesus understands us in every possible way because he was born of a woman. This is one who should be carried in on our shoulders, but he actually entered in to walk in our shoes. For those of you who think that God doesn't fully understand you, that when you pray to Jesus... And we all do this, I do it myself. You pray and somewhere in the back of your mind, but do you really understand because you are God and you can't get what I'm going through and, and, and I'm so confused, you'd never understand that, but I'm gonna pray and just hope for the best. Yet That's just a false reality that you can't be living any longer. When Jesus came through a woman, it shows that God actually does understand the every reality of your heart. The fear, the despair, the grief, the hope, the joy, life, death. Jesus just isn't just a gift. He understands and he empathizes and he agonizes with us and he rejoices with us. This gives us comfort and relief as we walk through life. God, thank you that... In a supernatural way, you sent Christ. We don't fully get the immaculate conception, all those different things, how the Holy Spirit was put in Mary and put a baby in Mary and how the humanity and yet divinity, both are true, of course, right? God, God wasn't just a human. He was fully divine at the same time. We don't fully understand that, but all we can say is thank you, God, that that's the way you ordained it. For now, I can walk with, through life with confidence, with confidence that you're a God who's close. Jesus isn't just some Santa Claus popping in and out of your chimney, dropping off some gifts that you'll never see him again for another year. He came to be near. He came to relate and to empathize and to guide. 
He came to be, as Isaiah 9, 6 says, he came to be the wonderful counselor, the prince of peace. He came to be, as Matthew 1 and Luke 1 say, Emmanuel, God, not just for us, not just for us, but God with us. I know you guys have been in church for a long time. It's like, sometimes these things can go whoosh. Think about it. God with me. This whole like to you from God is not just a writing on the manger. It's actually to you from God with love. With love. These are life-altering realities, fully human, fully divine, the supernatural reality of being born of a woman. We learn those realities in Luke chapter one and and Matthew chapter one and Isaiah uh, chapter seven, foretelling Christ's birth, born of a woman. It also this, born under the law. Born under the law, What's, what's that mean? Galatians is about being freed from the law then why is Christ born under the law? Christ is born under the law so he can overcome the law and set us free from the law. Born under the law means this. Jesus, when he came, was born under every obligation, that same obligations we are born under to obey God's law and actually be judged according to God's law. Perfect God, moral purity, This is a standard of judgment that we're all to live up to. Who can live up to that? I can't. Jesus was born under the same rules and regulations. But Jesus can. And that actually is what frees me from now striving to relate to God by the law. Got to do all the right things. Got to be the perfect Christian. Got to study my Bible. Got to show I'm strong on the outside, even though I'm fading away on the inside. Got to be more moral than everybody else. He came to actually live the perfect life that you and I couldn't possibly live, that we now wouldn't have to be burdened by striving to live and relate to God by this list of regulations and rules and standards that we can never possibly attain. And all God's people said, "Ah." amen? So he was born into the law that he could then fulfill the law perfectly that we wouldn't now have to strive in the same way maybe some people do. We still strive for obedience. We don't have to strive for the law and to earn favor with God. Jesus has done all that for us. This little baby in the manger is much more than a cute, cuddly face. He came that he might redeem us who are under the burden and the judgment and the shackles of the law. This is what it says in Romans chapter 8, verses 3 and 4. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his, his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. So Jesus came under the law to satisfy all the legal demands that God had that we then, we then might, it might be our role fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Let me summarize for all, for, let me summarize it for you this way. Help you understand this whole divinity, this whole man, God. Here's, here's what Eric Raymond said from T4G. 
Jesus had to be truly human in order to suffer, brackets are mine, for us and sympathize with us. Jesus had to be truly divine in order to satisfy God's wrath and secure my place in him. This is Jesus. Humanity to suffer for us, to understand our suffering, to sympathize with us, and his deity, or to understand God's wrath and secure my place with him. Let's be honest, if this passage were to stop there, there's your Christmas gift for ages to come. Your sin is no longer beginning to be counted against you anymore if you put your faith in Jesus Christ. God is near. This chasm of sin that separated you from God, God is near now because of Jesus Christ. Like, what more could we ever want on a wish list for Christmas? And yet the text goes on to show us three clear implications of this that I pray we grab a hold of this morning and take with us and, and may these truths propel us in our Christmas celebrations and our Christmas joy and our Christmas hope and our Christmas peace and our Christmas love. And uh, here's, here's what they are. Here's the second point. Jesus became one of us that I might become one of God's. Jesus became one of us that I might become one of God's. Three words I said from the beginning are all found here in this text. These are really the practical application points of this, giving you the theological understanding. Now, here's how it comes alive in our lives. Three words, redemption, adoption, and heir. See what it says here? Born under the law to redeem those who are under the law. Redemption is simply a word that means uh, to to, to be set free, to be bought with a price. In the biblical terms, redemption is this. This is, the, this is the, the, the implications of the incarnation. The incarnation, the implications of this is this. We are redeemed through the reality of a living Savior here in this life. And Jesus didn't come, we'd have no hope of redemption. Redemption is ultimately this. It's being bought with a price. It's him for me. The idea of a... Of a Slave or of a prisoner of war being exchanged. You know, sometimes countries have prisoners of war, and so they, they want to exchange prisoners. How do we set this prisoner free? Well, you give me one of your prisoners, I'll give you one of my prisoners, we'll be set free. This whole idea that Jesus came, he was born, this little baby in a manger that, that we want to pick up and cuddle, he was actually born to come and to be the, the one who's given an exchange for our lives. To redeem us. Who can redeem ourselves? We can't redeem ourselves. Can a slave redeem themselves? Not a chance. They need someone to come in and, and buy them or redeem them. Can, a, can a, someone on death row redeem themselves? Not unless a judge exonerates them and pardons them. In the same way, can a sinner redeem ourselves before a holy God? Absolutely not. We're guilty. I'm as guilty of sin as you are. Yet Jesus came that he would redeem us. He'd buy us with a price, the price of his blood, that we then could live free in Jesus Christ. Back in the war days, during the Cold War, the place called uh, the Glienica Bridge, is, which once separated West Berlin from East Germany, is a place where Western allies would come and trade uh, prisoner of war with the Soviet Union during the Cold War. And Jesus came. He was going to come and 
be the great exchange for us, but it wasn't going to be on some bridge. It was going to be at the cross of Calvary. You can't separate the birth of Christ from the cross of Christ. Christmas and Easter go one and together. They go hand in hand. You can't just focus on one and not the other. And he came to redeem us because we can't redeem ourselves. In the worldly sense, we try, don't we? You know, you're a musician, you mess up in the band, and so what are you going to do next? Well, I'm going to redeem myself. I'm going to play that piece perfectly next time. You're an athlete, and you're like, oh, I had a bad game, but I'm going to redeem myself. Next game, I'm going to be 10 times better. You're in business, and you make a mess, and you lose some money. Next week, you're going to redeem yourself. You're going to put in some extra time and make your boss some extra money. And so we kind of think in these terms, like, I can redeem myself in the spiritual sense. All of us have this sense of, like, idea that I'm going to redeem myself. Tomorrow's going to be better than today. I can do better. I'm going to show God how serious I am. Definitely going to be better than that guy over there. But ultimately, can you redeem yourself before God? If perfection's a standard, no matter what you do, no matter how hard you try, no matter how hard you hold on or white-knuckling it through this Christian life, guess what? You can't redeem yourself. That's where Jesus enters the equation, which makes him so glorious to us. That's why we celebrate so deeply, because we can't redeem ourselves, but Jesus can. The Shaw Pocket Bible Handbook really helps us understand this. It's this redemption idea of redemption, him for me. The situation is this, that I'm a slave to the world system. I said that earlier in Galatians 4, chapter 4. I'm a slave to the world system. I'm a slave to Satan and sin in myself. And, and the slave master is the enemy himself. It's Satan. Slaves are all humanity. We're all born into this. The problem is sin. The highest bidder is Jesus Christ. And the ransom price is the blood of Christ. Powerful. It makes changes the way you look at the manger, doesn't it? Hmm. On to the festivities. No way, no way. Honor. Worship. Adoration. One of my favorite movies from a while back is uh, Saving Private Ryan. I'm sure some of you have seen it before. Apparently, I haven't watched it in a while. Apparently, I was reminded after first service, it's really uh, gruesome. So please don't go home and watch it with your kids. Just a caveat for that. But it's a great movie, and in the movie is uh, the story of a, a bunch of brothers that went off to war, and all the brothers but one got killed in battle. And so the commanding officer of the U.S. Army decided that this family shouldn't lose all their boys in battle, so he, he put together a platoon to go and find Private Ryan. That was the only job of the platoon, enter into the enemy territory and find this guy and bring him home safely. So as the movie goes, they go, they find their, their guy, they... Uh, on the brink of getting him home, a big, big battle turns out at the end, and um, ultimately, most of the men, except for a couple, uh, definitely Private Ryan escaped, but most of the men died giving their lives simply to save this one soldier. After the end of the, at the end of the movie, the um, battle scene, and Ryan's still living, so we know it's going to be a good ending, but all his buddies who came to get him are, are dead, and then it kind of goes black, and the next scene is, is um, in Flanders Fields, and uh, Private Ryan now, an older man, white hair, with a wife and kids and grandkids, they're all kind of looking for the, the, the place markers that identified where the men that risked their lives and lost their lives for him were buried, and so they were kind of walking through Flanders Fields, and at the end, um, they find the one gravestone, and, and Private Ryan just falls on his knees and starts weeping and starts weeping in gratitude and adoration. And the words that came out of his mouth were this. He looked at his, his wife and he's like, honey, honey, just tell me it was worth it. Just tell me it was worth it. 
In other words, I want to live every day with the reality that I'm going to live now because, because this sacrifice, this amazing reality, I'm now going to live differently because it's true. I'm going to honor the one that gave his all for me. This is our reality at Christmas. This is why we get so excited about the reality of Jesus. I was in captivity. You were in captivity. Jesus came to do the swap to set us free. Stop to think about that this Christmas season. I know it's an Easter reality, but this is, again, this is the Christmas verse, right? But they need to put what's after the dot, dot, dot to get the full implications of the text. Redemption is much a part of Christmas as Easter. That'll change the way you celebrate Christmas. That'll change the way you look at your Christmas tree and your Christmas presents. Jesus truly is the gift of all gifts. And not only did he set us free, but guess look what comes next. He adopted us as his very own. It's one thing to exchange prisoners. Can you imagine the, the president exchanging prisoners and taking the one prisoner and saying, you know what, I'm going to exchange my son for your life and now I'm not just going to let you free. I'm going to actually adopt you as my very own child. Unheard of, and yet that's what God did. He gave Jesus in our stead and then adopted us, because of that, adopted us as his very own Here's one of the greatest realities of Christmas. Jesus, this baby in a manger, has actually come to recruit us for adoption for the Father. This word adoption in the New Testament means exactly the same thing as it does today. Sometimes we look for the Greek meaning. What's the Greek? What's the Hebrew? Here's what adoption means. It means adopted. In other words, in the Roman times, they did the same thing we do in our times. A lot of times, dignitaries would bring in slaves. And the wealthy people would bring in slaves. They'd come across a slave child that they really loved, and so they would say, you know what? I want to adopt you as my very own. No longer you have the title of a slave. You're actually going to be my son or daughter. And no longer do you sleep with the slaves. You sleep with us. No longer are you uh, lumped in the same category as the slaves. You're now going to be part of our family with all the privileges of being a part of our family. Can you imagine being that child? A slave child being adopted into the family of a dignitary? That's what God has done through Jesus Christ in our lives. A lot of families in our church have gone through adoption. We see the story played out every week as we um, watch people coming in with their adopted children. We rejoice in that. What a great expression of God's love for us as we pour it upon the world. And yet the true reality is that we were the orphans. We were the family less. We were the destitute that needed adopting in a spiritual sense. And Jesus Christ, God through Jesus Christ has adopted us into his family. One of my best friends from college, I think I've told you this before, but it goes with the text. He adopted a little boy from, from Haiti. Him and his wife, Ashley, Brent and Ashley, went to Haiti to get Sandro, and um, that's not him, but it's a picture that looks good on the internet. <laughs> he, uh, so they went to Haiti, and they actually got to meet with the, the, the little boy's mom. Uh, can't even imagine how that went, but they, the mom realized that she was really destitute and the only hope for her son had to live was to send him to a, probably North America and have another family adopt him. So they met with his mom and kind of got a bird's eye of where he lived and how you know, the, the orphanages were helping them try and just keep him alive and those kind of things. And, and, and then they brought him from this country where he was probably destined to die. They brought him to North America where they say everything's completely different. Even Brent said as they walked into their home, he was just like, the, the reality of like what he's coming from to what he's going to was like staggering. We don't think about it here, right? Because we have all this luxury all around us. We think this is normal. It's not normal. 
And I remember Brent telling me that. I was like, you know, I'd be so interested to see what Sandro thinks, you know, like 10 years down the road or 15 years down the road and just go back to where he came from and then come and see the, 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 the stark difference of the, the reality of what you've made in his life. What caused that adoption to happen? Anything the kid did? No, it was all the initiation of my friend Brent and Ashley. What causes our adoption in Jesus to happen? Is anything we can do? Is it present ourselves right and, and look talented enough? No, it's, it's all at the initiation of our Heavenly Father who loves us enough to come searching for us through His Son and, and to bring us from not physical rags to riches, but spiritual rags to riches. Think, think of God's people in the Old Testament, the Israelites. How did they become God's people? God chose them. What's that mean? I want you to be my people. What a privilege, what an honor. What if we don't deserve this, God? Nothing, but I choose you. In the New Testament sense, we are Israel. What has God done? What have we done to, to deserve God? Nothing, and yet God still chases after us. He points his finger at us. He grabs us by the shoulder, and he, he draws us near, and he calls us to his, himself, and he calls us children of God. Why? Because that's how great our God is. For all who would turn to him by faith in his son. I want to point out here that when it talks about children of God, I've heard so many people, even in the church, in church for years, well, we're all children of God, aren't we? We're all children of God. We're all created by God. But we're not all children of God. In fact, the Bible teaches us that when we were born, we're born into sin. Others were children of the enemy. We're under his power, under his tutelage, we're under his, his bondage. And we don't become actually children of God until we turn to Christ by faith. That's where all these things become a reality. That's where the Christmas present becomes alive. That's where Jesus takes over in our lives. So if you're saved today, you've been called to Christ. You weren't always a child of God. You became a child of God through faith in this Son whom we celebrate this Christmas. If you're not a child of God today, you can become a child of God as you humble yourself and not bow before some marker in Flanders Fields, but you bow before Christ at the cross, bow before the manger and say, you've come for me, I give my life to you. Adoption is an amazing reality of Christ and Christmas that we so often forget. Isn't it hard to imagine, like, I'm adopted by God. Like, does that not mess with you a little bit? Just me, just the pastor. To get my mind around the fact that I'm an adopted child of God. And yet, here's what I think we do as Christians so often. We still often operate like he's our boss, like we're slaves. But yet Christ came that we don't have to operate like slaves, like he's our boss anymore, but, but that he's our father and we can come to him in a whole different way. If you struggle with that, it's not abnormal. You're not alone. In fact, John Wesley, who is the founder of the Methodists movement in the world, he was an honor graduate from Oxford University, ordained by the Church of England, lived out practical good works, and visited inmates of prisons, and, and helped distribute food and clothing in the slums and orphans. He studied the Bible as deeply as he could. He attended church all the time. He was serving his heart out. He gave generously to the church and helped the poor. He prayed and fasted. He spent several years in Georgia ministering to the American natives and the revival that happened there. And yet here's what he said upon returning to England after his trip to America to see revival among the natives. He said this, I went to America to convert others but was never myself converted to God. 
Later reflecting on his pre-conversion condition, he said this, I had even then the faith of a servant, though not that of a son. We know the reality. We celebrate the reality. Let me ask you this, brothers and sisters. Are you operating still in the sense of, of a slave? Or are you operating as a son or daughter of the living God? Are you relating to God like he's your boss or like he's your father? Here's what Jesus tells us. God loves you and I with a perfect love, with a passionate love, with a persistent love that beckons us to come and not just have a savior, but have the intimacy of a father. Changes everything. I was thinking this week how, how from sonship to childhood to, to being a child changes the way we even relate to God. Think of the view of God that we have. And this is what the text is saying here, right? You'll be given the right to become adoption, adopted as his sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you're no longer a slave but a son. And if a slave, then an heir through God. Remember, this all started, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, ultimately that we may become children of God. Changes our view of God, doesn't it? Boss versus father, like... You think of boss, you're like, yes, sir, no, sir. Father, you think daddy, Abba, father, the actual meaning is daddy, like the intimacy, the closeness of that, the care involved in that, the compassion uh, at a new level between boss and father. This is God's heart for you and I, not just we celebrate a little few Christmas songs, that we see Jesus come to him as our, now our sons and daughters that we relate to in a brand new way. Think about this, only three people in this world call me daddy. Anyone else did? That'd be a little weird, don't you think? You guys send me messages and emails, and sometimes I think, mm, they can wait. My kids? Not a chance. Father, son, father, daughter. This is a new relationship we have in Christ. The relationship is a chore, is not a chore, it's an honor. It's, it's not a better show up before God or I'm not going to get, better show up, I'm not going to get paid or, or I'm going to get fired. It's, it's, I can't think of anything else I'd rather do than spend time with my father. We're not trying to earn brownie points anymore with God. That's kind of the law kind of mentality. You're now have, you already have the favor with God through Jesus and now you communicate with him and you hear from his word and you pray to him and you serve him with your life because you love him, because you want to spend time with your father. That's the motivation behind all of this. The boss, you have to be candid and you're cautious and you can't really, you know, formal with God now because of Christ. We don't have to pretend or be superficial. We can be real knowing that his complete love for us never ends. In other words, we're completely accepted by God through Jesus Christ. We don't have to perform for him. We have security. The boss, you need to get your job done. You need to be productive with bottom lines and attain a certain level to be embraced. With a father, you're secure. You can be late, you can have bad days, you can have on days and off days, you can be at your absolute worst, and yet when your father tucks you in every night, what does he whisper in your ear every single night? The same thing we whisper into our kids' ears, what? I love you. You drove me crazy today. But I love you. The security in that 
You are always going to be, if you're in Christ, his son or daughter. You don't have to earn this status or keep up this status. Your status is secure in Jesus Christ. That's what Galatians is about. Forget about all the legal requirements. You are now loved because he first loved us and you have a belonging. You're not relating to God as part of a staff or part of a slave troop. You're now part of his family. You're not part of a team. You're part of a family. Deeper than blood, the Holy Spirit unites us with God, unites us with each other. You have an identity, family name called Christian. You have security in your father's house with all the privileges and perks. You're no longer wandering or wondering. The sign God puts up for us on the manger is you come to Jesus, welcome home. Welcome home. Don't we long for that in our hearts? Even in this world, we know there's something more. We know there's a real home we have. It's with God through Jesus. We have provision beyond our comprehension. Slave or boss, your work is done. You go home and you do your thing. You're on your own. If you're part of a family now, you're reliant on God. He's your source of everything. Your, physical, your psychological needs, your physical needs, your emotional needs, your social needs. You have Jesus. You have it all. Your boss may give you a good health plan, but Jesus gives you an all-encompassing life plan, nurturing and mentoring and leading and guiding. You have it all in one person, Jesus. Your motivation now, your motivation is not fear. It's required of me. I don't want to mess up. I have to please him, but it's out of love. Fear, I don't want to get punished. Love is... Christ took the punishment for you. You don't have to now come to God with any of those inhibitions. You can now simply just love him. Love overcomes all of our fears. I see God. I see his love. I understand Jesus. I just want to then be close to him and serve him in return. I can love him. That's how we live our Christian lives. We live by loving Jesus. And everything flows from that. I serve Jesus because I love him. It's my joy to be near him. It brings a smile to my face to see his face smile. Is this how you guys are living out your Christian faith? It's so easy, eh, to start. Gotta do, gotta do, gotta do. Instead of, it's already done. It's already done. It's already done. This truth alone will free you to enjoy Christmas, this Christmas season. This truth alone, just bask in this truth, just remind yourself over, I'm an adopted child of God. He's got me covered from start to finish. My, his love for me will never end. His provisions are unlimited. Just allow that truth to permeate your minds and hearts. I get it. I struggle with it too. I get it. And just see how your worship is opened up this Christmas. See, see how your times as a family go a little more in-depth spiritually as you focus on Christ. See, see how gathering on the Christmas tree becomes not about the gifts anymore. Yeah, they're fun and they're important, but it comes around the gift, Jesus Christ. Let this reality catapult you into a Christmas season that brings you nearer to God than you ever have been maybe in your entire life. Because ultimately the final one is here in the text. It's this, my future goes from uncertainty to air. Through the spirit of God, into our hearts, we know this is true. Abba Father. Yes, God Almighty, also Abba Father, both end. Confirms to us that we're sons and daughters of God, and if we're sons and daughters, it will also be an heir through God. In other words, what we have coming to us through God, through Jesus Christ, is far greater than, than getting all of our Christmas wish list all given to us at one shot. 
All the things you think are going to make your Christmas complete. You know what? They're already, your Christmas is already complete because of Jesus. We have an inheritance come, is coming, and he is our inheritance. His, what is his is mine, and he is mine. 1 Peter 4 says this, my, my inheritance is imperishable. Revelation 21 is unspoiled. In other words, absolutely pure with no contaminants. It's, it's unfading. Everything is always brand new. It's reserved for believers who hold on to Jesus. And it's ultimately summed up in this one truth in one person, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit confirms all these things by sending a registered mail to your door of your heart by saying, you know what? You are now God's and your eternal destiny is with God forever. All that is his is yours and you are gonna be his and he is gonna be yours that's the greatest, greatest reality you'll ever know in this life. Our inheritance is secure. No guarantees if you're a slave. Written in his will if you're a child or a son of God. So often we think of blessing. We think of blessing as in all the things we get. If I have this, I'm blessed. If I have this, I'm blessed. If I have this, I'm blessed. Guess what? You can have the whole world and not be blessed. You can have everything your heart desires. You have everything on your Christmas wish list. It could all fall into the tree for you. And guess what? You can have all that and still not be blessed. True blessing comes from when you finally and fully see Jesus Christ for who he truly is. And you love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you embrace him as if he's the only gift that ever matters. Then you will be blessed. Amazing, isn't it, how the Christmas cards give you just that little like, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. Next time you read that, put a little dot, dot, dot at the end and add, and because the son has come, now I am redeemed, I am adopted, and I am an heir. I'm redeemed, I'm adopted, and I'm an heir. Next time you get that Christmas card and you see a little snippet of a verse, look up the whole thing, read it in context, and study it, and you'll find the real treasures of Christmas. You'll find the hope and the joy and the love and the peace that you're looking for. You'll find it all in one place, Jesus Christ. Let these truths even sink deep into your hearts this morning as we take communion Sometimes we take communion at the beginning of a sermon, sometimes after. I'm not going to set it up with much today. I just want you to think about the full reality of Jesus and let let your heart worship Jesus for for who he really is. Let your heart be thankful to God for the uh, indescribable gift, the Bible says, of Jesus Christ. Ultimately, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13 uh, to the end says this about the magnitude of the reality of the incarnation of Christ coming to earth. But now in Christ Jesus, because of his birth, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God and one body through the cross, thereby, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. 
So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are now fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Jesus' birth changes everything. changed our lives from the inside out. As we take communion this morning, just, just, just ponder. Allow truth to sink deep into your heart. Allow your heart to truly worship. I want to remind you that communion is for believers, for those who put their faith in Jesus Christ. What I've been preaching today is your reality. The Holy Spirit's confirming that right now. He's like, yes, this is, this is it. This is it. This is yours. This is for you. And I encourage you to joyfully participate, whether you're from another denomination or from another church. It doesn't matter. It's one under Christ. The community table is one under Christ. And allow Christ to permeate your mind and heart. Again, no point going through Christmas if we miss the one whom the party is for. Ask God, God, make this real again. Do you battle sometimes with making this being real? I, I do too. Make this real again. Make this alive. Make this fresh. May I see a clear glimpse of Jesus. If you're not a believer today, the Bible says if you eat and drink communion with us this morning, you're actually eating and drinking condemnation or damnation upon yourself. So we encourage you just to pass the elements by, but as you do, ponder this. This is a free gift. This is from God to me with love. Why have I not yet embraced this gift? Allow Christ to redeem me and adopt me and make me an heir. And as you grapple with that, just in your own heart, just get real before God and say a little prayer. There's not a magic prayer you pray. Maybe today's the day that you come to Christ. And this little baby in the manger is transformed to the glory of the living God that the rest of us have seen and known by the grace of God. Communion servers come and serve us. Reminder, there's two um, cups in each slot, way from the bottom, juice on the top, gluten-free wafers in the middle for those who need them. Uh, let's hold on to the elements, and then I'll come back and we'll eat and drink together in just a few minutes.